Hey, everybody, I'm Chris Willard, and I want to welcome you to this webinar, uh, Best Practices from 710 Nonprofits and Churches. I am here with my good friend and colleague, Warren Bird of ECFA. Hello, Warren. How are you today? Hey, I'm great, Chris. And, you know, I'm very tempted every time I see your mustache to put on mine for the day. But uh, it's, it's good to be here and without mustache. Well, that would be an absolutely, I, I was going to say that would be an improvement, but how can you improve on the, the always classic style of Warren Bird? So, uh, buddy, it's great to see you. And it's really exciting to have this opportunity to talk through this most recent uh, survey and research project that you've done with ECFA. Uh, let's tell everybody a little bit about us, and then we can talk about the, the survey and then dive into it, okay? So I... Um, I'm, as I said, Chris Willard, and I am the CEO of Elevate Group. At Elevate Group, we call, we help churches call their people up to a higher level of engagement, which we believe results in a greater level of funding to accomplish the ministry that God has called us to accomplish. We work with churches, we work with ministries, we work with small churches and big churches. If we can help your church, we'd be happy to do that. Warren, tell us a little bit about you and the work that you do at ECFA. Well, I love the Lord, and I love uh, being in the, the uh, sandbox of ECFA, where 2,500-plus ministries and churches, our fastest-growing segment, are churches uh, joining, because uh, 20, 30 years ago, people gave ministries and churches the benefit of the doubt, uh, that you're using my money with integrity, and, and Today, the skepticism reigns that says, I, I, I would sure benefit before I give money of knowing that somebody is looking over your shoulder that, and that the money's really going to where you say. I get to serve as the research director amongst all the CPAs and everybody who's there uh, in order to come up with best practices. Um, what causes churches and other ministries to thrive within the framework of the seven integrity statements that uh, anyone who's associated with ECFA is part of. And I've had the privilege of being part of 33 books, including one that was uh, the book of the year for Exponential, the uh, book Hero Maker by Dave Ferguson and myself. I always like to say that if you read a Christian book and you liked it, chances <laughs> are that Warren wrote it uh, or, or Warren helped somebody write it. Uh, and so I love that about you, Warren. I think you've made a tremendous contribution to the kingdom. It's been a privilege to partner with you. Of course, we worked together for years at Leadership Network, and had, I had the privilege of seeing you provide some tremendous insights into uh, church leadership and how churches work. And your work over the years, bro, has really made a huge impact. So it's really a ball to get to talk to you today and to dig into this, uh, this survey. You're very gracious, Chris. I, I enjoy all my interactions. And as I tweeted and put on LinkedIn, because you're the moderator today, the dialogue is going to be perhaps the best of any of the webinars on this report. Well, thanks. I'm glad about that. So let's talk about the research then. So this, this is New Frontiers and Nonprofit Fundraising. And this was not a small project and not a small undertaking, right? Talk a little bit about the what's behind the survey and kind of some of the methodologies and what you were hoping to uncover. So ECFA during the pandemic, you know, last March when the bottom fell out, nobody knew what was coming up next, especially those first few weeks when 
donations tanked everywhere. So we thought, you know, we're going to track the economic impact of the pandemic uh, by quarterly surveys, which we did and, and uh, delighted to report all the ways God provided. Uh, then after we stopped doing that in early 2021, we said, you know, we should probably now help people figure out best practices in, in developing generosity or in nonprofit world fundraising, uh, because that's undoubtedly changed across the pandemic. And in a nutshell, it has and it hasn't. You know, money, money always follows vision and still does. But we'll, we'll come to that. The, the gist of it was 710 different ministries and churches from large to small. Here you see a wide range of incomes, a wide range of are they growing or not, and uh, a wide range in ages. And uh, so we got a real good mix, we feel, of, of the lay of the land of what people shifted, what they didn't shift, and what they saw coming out of the pandemic. Chris, you are muted. My no, friend. I'm unmuted. There you go. Thanks, Warren. So I'm... Um... I'm, I'm eager to dive in here then. So let's go ahead and start looking at uh, what you uncovered were sort of the top five findings in the survey. And there's a lot of content here, of course. Um, but to, to sort of summarize these top five, five findings is sort of we uncovered what sort of the, some of the biggest fundraising needs are. We uncovered, or you uncovered, how critically important it is that you've got the right people in place who are actually executing this fundraising strategy. We talked about where the biggest response areas are, uh, what the right priorities are. You could also argue that that fourth one is really about having the right strategy. Mm -hmm. And then fifth and finally, the, the very significant uh, importance of the relationships that people have as they move through this uh, fundraising process. And before we dive into these top five, I want to make an argument that I think um, will be helpful to everybody. And that is that Warren and his research is not, is, it's not about sort of somehow taking what you could, what you could say is, um, and I don't really like this distinction, Warren, maybe you can help me with this. I don't really love the distinction between sacred and secular because I think that good ideas are good ideas and God loves good ideas. But what we're not suggesting is that people wholesale bring into the church fundraising practices that are sort of done out there in the marketplace necessarily. There's a way to use those uh, fundraising principles in a way that really meets and kind of complements the goals of the church or a faith-based ministry. And it's important for us to keep that in mind, right, Warren? Because we're not just talking about just successful fundraising here. Absolutely. And one of the findings we'll look at underscores that idea that there is a biblical way to develop generosity where the care is on what God wants to develop in you and through you, not the funds that uh, God or God's people are looking at to come from you. Excellent. So as you go through this uh, conversation here, as we, we talk about these top five findings, you may be thinking as a church leader, as a ministry leader, as a denominational leader, 
boy, there's some things that we should be doing differently at our church or in our organization. At Elevate Group, we've put together a resource that might be useful to you as you consider how to have a conversation with your team about how to really create uh, or elevate radical generosity in your church. This is a resource that we would invite you to download. It's, of course, free. You can get it at elevategroup.us slash resources. That's elevategroup.us slash resources. It'll give you a really good conversation starter to have with your team to begin to apply some of the things that we'll be talking about here as we uncover Warren's research. So without further ado, let's get into it, shall we, Warren? Okay, so again, we're looking from anyone who wants to geek out on anything we say, I have pages of notes and subnotes and appendices and everything. Uh, so, you know, I may give you the top two social media uh, uh, forms that people are going to be looking at uh, for fundraising in 2021. And you may say, but what about TikTok? And uh, TikTok's on the list. Uh, it, it's it's 1%, by the way, of people are, that are making it their top priority. But uh, uh, that's an aside. Uh, so we have all kinds of stuff in the report. Now let's dig into the report itself. The first big finding, we gave people 12, I'm sorry, nine areas, and we said, okay, so what needs fixing, what needs improving? And let me just explain about the format here, because we're going to follow it here. Top left, you see areas to fix. That's kind of going to be our topic each time. The Q is actually the question from the survey that we asked. The A is my interpretation of what the top answer is. And you see that little yellow bubble on the side. Um, we try to suggest to you, okay, so what can you do about this? And in this case, it's, hey, rank these nine for yourself and uh, see which you would say is number one. And then come up with a strategic plan that focuses on whatever you identify as number one. But overall, people said number one was new donor acquisition. Now, if that's you're a church person and that's fancy language, what that means <laughs> from other studies is last weekend, you looked out on the congregation and you looked in the camera at the congregation that was online as well. And statistically, one third gave nothing financially and will give nothing all year. One third will give up to $500 over the course of the year. And the remaining third uh, carries the mail for what your church or ministry, whoever's listening, needs. So the new donor acquisition is, how do you speak to those people that are within your sphere of influence in church that are sitting there and, and haven't taken that first step of discipleship? Because remember, Every change in giving, Chris, I think I got this from your book, Contagious Generosity, that you did with Jim Shepard, that every change up or down in someone's giving pattern is a pastoral concern. It is a discipleship step. That's exactly right. And Warren, that stat, uh, that one third gives zero, one third give less than $500 a year, and the remaining third gives the rest. That, that should cause those of us who lead in churches to have a few kind of uh, concurrent thoughts, okay? The first one is, how is that possible? How is it possible that we have 
a full third in most churches that are giving zero. Now, let's be clear. We love those people, right, Warren? We're, we're glad they're here. We're glad they're in our church. But boy, I think what your survey reveals is we have to have a strategy for activating those not yet givers and inviting them to take that first step in becoming a giver there in your church. And I would say that uh, one of the ways to do that is to just acknowledge when people do it in a way that is appropriate. So for example, one of the things that I encourage my, my clients that I'm working with to do is maybe during an offering moment, you'll say something like, hey, did you know that in our church in the last quarter, the last three months, we've had 25 families give for the very first time here at First Church. And you could say something like, you know what, as one of your pastors, I just want to say, if you're one of those people that started giving recently, way to go. Thanks so much for joining us. We know that isn't just a financial decision. That's a spiritual decision. And we're so glad you made it. And by the way, to the rest of you who maybe you've been hanging out here for a while, you haven't given yet, maybe this is the week that you would begin to give. And we would encourage you to do that. And here's how you can. I guess what I'm saying is one of the ways to activate people to take that step in becoming a giver is to highlight and emphasize and demonstrate and show that others are taking that step. And so they can think, well, maybe I can do that too. But it's really important, Warren, right? Because if a third of the people that are in your constituency are giving zero, that's a huge opportunity to sort of see some new people start to give. Absolutely. And just a personal illustration, after 30 years in one church, my wife and I changed to a a church in our denomination that's grown up since that point and uh, is closer to our home. And uh, we, we began giving there and we, we are, we're tithers uh, and beyond. And so we started giving there and the, the first check I, I mailed in and I, I wrote a little note that said, we'd like to start giving. And, you know, could I have some kind of acknowledgement that cause it was a PO box and, and we've had some identity theft issues and, and the response was crickets. And then the next month uh, we wrote, and I wasn't looking for a thank you. I was just looking for an acknowledgement. Uh, the next month, uh, the, the check was cashed. Uh, we did find that out. Uh, and the next month, I wrote another little note with it to say, you know, is this the right way to give? And, and do you have something you can tell me about your different funds that you give? Because the online uh, information was not helpful. And, and again, crickets. And I thought, and since that point, I have. I've gone to the uh, treasurer and I've said, you know, what if you came up with a series of letters, you know, the first time acknowledging someone's gift, because it is a step of uh, stewardship. The second time uh, giving a little education on on uh, where the money goes, how it's used and and so forth. But, but all that to say, this is all part of new donor acquisition and that second point of moving donors up the giving pyramid of giving constant invitations to say, you know, if you haven't had a chance to participate in blank initiative of our church, this would be a particularly good time because we're stepping out in faith and, and the more we have, the more impact we can have in this area. Yeah. And Warren, you raised such a good issue. It's kind of stunning that uh, the church in America is the only place you can give a gift and not get a thank you note. You try, I mean, try to give a gift to another ministry, another organization, you'll almost always get some sort of recognition, some sort of thank you. And I really understand the heart behind your desiring to get 
some sort of feedback was not to be congratulated for giving, but rather to just have us to begin a conversation about the fact that you've made this, this step. And I think that's really important. And I think the second sort of the second um, big idea kind of in this first finding that you uncovered this idea, Warren, that not only do we need to help churches acquire or ministries acquire new givers, but and also help move existing donors kind of, and your quote is up the donor pyramid, you could say along the generosity pathway or whatever it might be, whatever metaphor you want to use. What I think you've uncovered there is that we as a, as a ministry, as a church, we need to have a strategy to help people take their next step in giving, as opposed to, well, I, I sort of, I started giving, Maybe I set some sort of dollar amount. I um, auto giving. And remember those old commercials with the guy uh, who was selling those cooking machines online? It was you just set it and forget it. You know, I think it was Ron Popeil said it and forget it. Well, a lot of people do that with their giving. They sort of just set it and forget it. And what you've uncovered here is that we really need a strategy to help people take their next step and move increasingly toward greater and greater generosity. Right. Absolutely. And even the messaging we say to different people, ECFA is now involved with the project. Our next project after this survey is, is to study, help churches and ministries study their donors. And an immediate difference we're finding is that millennials and Gen Z, uh, if you speak compassion language and, and you know, make a difference uh, in terms of social action impact uh, language, um, that they resonate to. Uh, older givers have different triggers. And, but if you're, you know, you, you probably are speaking in your messaging to one particular audience and to think, hmm, am I really speaking to the person who's, who's put God first in their finances for years versus am, am I speaking as often to the person who has just taken their first step of, uh, of, of giving. I, it's like my wife and I were greeters at, at church uh, last Sunday. And, you know, somebody came back and I said, I haven't met you before. You know, what's your name? And he said, this is my first time back since the pandemic. And, you know, it was face mask all up and everything. And, and I thought, okay, you need different treatment than everybody else who's been coming and they're maskless and they're comfortable and they know the drill. You need special, you need a different languaging. And the same with how we speak to different levels of givers and different ages of givers. That is so smart. We, uh, I've often said that the goal here is that we need to speak to different kinds of givers differently, meaning you don't have the same conversation with a non-giver than you do with one of the leading givers in your congregation. And we'll talk about that in just a few minutes, but that's really, uh, really helpful, Warren. Let's, let's, let's move on to the second big idea, shall we? The second big uh, topic that you uh, uncovered, unless there's something else you want to add on this first one, Warren. No, no. Okay. Um, I'm happy with it. Okay, good. So the second big idea has to do with the need to have the right people in, in place, people who are giving leadership to and really kind of living out this or, or executing this strategy that you create to try to elevate generosity and stewardship or to try to raise the funds that are needed to uh, accomplish your ministry. So talk about that. What, what did you all uncover there and, and give us the backstory? 
So in this question, it, it's, it's going to be a comparison of effectiveness and ineffectiveness. So in other words, uh, the question, would you agree that your fundraising program or church language stewardship development ministry has been extremely effective over the past 12 to 18 months in the following areas? And we'll come to the following areas. But I basically took those who said, yes, yes, we're very pleased and God has blessed and, and we've had good outcome versus those who said, not really, um, we're not pleased. And I, I'm calling them effective and ineffective. And the area where the difference was greatest, this, this particular graphic lines up from the greatest differences, disparities between the effective and ineffective was for those who have paid fundraising staff, and that could include churches that have um, uh, pastors of stewardship or others who, uh, even the CEO, CFO role, the business manager, um, what are they doing? And, and the second ranked was the top person, the top executive in ministry world, it's a CEO, in church world, it's a it's a senior pastor. And the learning that I got from it was having the right people with the right priorities is what makes the difference between effective and ineffective fundraising programs. So let me just give an extreme example, and then Chris, I'll throw back to you. If the pastor doesn't feel any responsibility biblically toward developing a culture of generosity, toward developing people's generosity muscles, then chances are the giving at that church will be much lower. Um, it's, it has to be owned uh, and the right people have to be engaged with asking the question, how are we discipling, developing? Are we putting the right tools in their hand? Are we communicating correctly? Are we enabling them to give in ways that, that aren't uh, too cumbersome such that, that they get discouraged and quit? Um, are we messaging clearly how what their giving goes, how it's used to make a difference for God's kingdom? All those questions uh, help compile the difference between an effective and an ineffective uh, fundraising or stewardship development program. Yeah, I, I think that it's it's almost an it's an uh, it's an obvious uh, observation in some ways, Warren, because I think we all kind of intuitively know that if it's not someone's job, it doesn't get done in most yeah. organizations, right? And you know you could you could argue that that listen everybody's supposed to be generous people are supposed to give it's not really somebody's job to get other people to do that but you know the church is about making disciples and everybody in the church should be making disciples and everybody should be a disciple but we often in churches have someone who is the pastor of discipleship or the director of spiritual formation or the leader of the small group strategy and so what we're saying is yeah it's such an important um, 
objective in the church that we've actually asked somebody to lead it and kind of give leadership to it. And that is, in fact, why I think in many uh, forward-thinking kind of well-led churches, you do see a stewardship pastor, a generosity pastor, a director of generosity and stewardship, somebody who's helping to guide that really important ministry. But it's also such an, uh, a great observation that your research revealed that it is the, it is the senior leader in the case of a church, the pastor, in the case of a nonprofit ministry, the CEO or the executive director, it is that person's responsibility to help accelerate, elevate generosity and stewardship. Uh, it's the job of the leader to acquire the resources required to accomplish the mission. That's just how it works. And um, when you have a leader, as you described, who perhaps is keeps that issue at arm's length or sort of thinks that that's someone else's job, there really can be some, some negative consequences. I'll often tell pastors as they begin this process of becoming more engaged in this area of generosity and stewardship and giving, I'll tell them, you know, it's likely that over the course of the next coming weeks and months, you may have someone in your congregation say to you something like this, you know, pastor, it feels like you talk about money and giving and generosity more than you used to. And my encouragement when a pastor hears that is not to run from that, but rather lean into it and say something like, man, I'm so glad you noticed that. You know, the Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, and I'm your pastor, and I care about your heart. And so that's why we talk about money and giving and generosity. And so it really is important, right, Warren, that, that the leader of the organization is engaged in this and that people are also leaning into this and seeing this as part of their ministry responsibility. Absolutely. And we'll actually come to another slide that talks about teams and development. So we're going to keep coming back to this theme. Yeah, that's good. Okay. The third big idea that you unpacked is another one of these topics. Uh, I think it, I think it revealed, um, well, I'll let you talk about it, but I think it's sort of uncovered another one of these areas where we sort of try to shy, we tend to shy away from this one a little bit. Go ahead and talk about this third big finding. So uh, again, the effective fundraising versus ineffective, this time I stacked up the left-hand column of the most effective fundraising programs, which of the many values came up to the very top. And the one that did was the question, does your CEO... Uh, or senior pastor, effectively share the fundraising role with others. So on the previous slide, we were saying, okay, does the top leader own it? Now we're getting to, does the top leader share it? Now, let me just scale this way down to a church plant of uh, 50 people that is going to have a treasurer, a lay volunteer. Now, what do you commission that person to do? Is, is, the, is the vision, hey, I'm the pastor, I, I legally, ethically, I shouldn't be the signer of the checks, you know, so I want you to sign the checks, you know, uh, somebody needs to vet my expenses that I truly am not, you know, off uh, misusing church funds. So, you know, would you look at my receipts? Um, you can ask a person and, and that those are helpful things to ask. Um, but is that all you ask? Do, do you share the dream of how do we develop generous people? How do we see God's heart of generosity fleshed out in this congregation? Do you invite that 
person? Do you, as if you're the senior pastor, invite that person as the lay leader of your finances into that? Do you invite your board? Are there others that you are sharing the, in, in the language of St. Paul, the joy of sacrificial giving um, and how to engender that culture? Are you sharing that with others? And the finding here is that the most effective fundraising programs, translation into church language, stewardship development uh, uh, approaches, involves a shared leadership approach, not just the top person. That's, that's great. That's excellent. And that makes sense, right? It, to go back to that, that illustration I said a few moments ago, it's everyone's responsibility in the church to create disciples. We're all involved in that activity. And yet there's also likely somebody giving leadership to that in the same way it is all of our responsibilities to create and elevate generosity and stewardship in a church. But, but it's all often led by one or two others who are sort of taking the point on that. So that's really helpful. That's really good. Now, Warren, the, I think the third big idea revealed something about major givers or, or lead givers, right? That is going to be a worthwhile topic for us to dig into. Let's take a look. Uh, we, we looked at, we had done a survey like this uh, six years ago, and the finger in the survey, the findings kept pointing out that the top person was so pivotal. So I thought, okay, anticipating that that hasn't changed this time in the survey, I'll really ask all kinds of questions about the top leader. And again, you're seeing CEO on this slide. If that's not your world, if pastor is the world, your world, uh, just replace it with the top leader uh, in church context. But we, we ask you know, a whole lot of statements. Where do you agree? And here is the top statements. And by the way, if you're saying, but I want to see all of them, just download the free report at ecfa.org slash surveys, plural, and you can geek out to your heart's content. I put everything, well, not everything. Uh, they, they actually limited me, <laughs> but I did put a lot more of the key findings uh, in the survey. Uh, but among the findings the top one that people agreed with, and, and to me, this just made me smile with, with uh, joy, that the top ranked one was that our CEO, or in, in the church version, our pastor, understands and models a biblical approach to, and in, fund, in uh, nonprofit surveys, we use the word fundraising. In church surveys, we use the word generosity. A biblical approach. So this comes to the distinctiveness of what Christians do in, in why we're raising money versus the marketplace does. And then to boot, the second highest of like a dozen statements was that the top person is extremely effective at creating and communicating our vision, mission, values, and strategic plan both internally, meaning to the congregation or to, to donors or, or whoever the constituency is, and externally as well. Well, it's hard to think of two more complementary statements that could have been chosen as, uh, as agreeing with for our top leader. Now, 
just because you agree with it doesn't mean that's easy to live out and to value. And that's what Chris and I will talk about for a bit here. Yeah, it's a it's a great point, Warren. It's kind of that um, it's not about good intentions. It's about good strategy, right? It's not about wishing that you had a good, I don't know who first said it, but it's people love this quote that hope is not a strategy. You actually have to have a plan. And what your what your I think research here has revealed is that we've got to we've got to have leadership that is actually exercising or executing a biblical strategy to elevate generosity and stewardship as opposed to just kind of slick fundraising tactics. I think part of the reason, I think part of the reason why some people shy away from this topic sometimes is that it just doesn't feel spiritual. It doesn't feel biblical, but you know, um, the ministry of asking is all throughout the pages of scripture. The idea of people being invited to invest their their earthly resources in heavenly uh, investments is is throughout the pages of Scripture. So what we're saying here is, you got to have a strategy, and the strategy really has to be kind of it has to be a biblical strategy that fits into the overall strategy of the church, right? Yeah, I remember uh, a, a friend of mine who was elderly, and I said to her you took a second job. And she says, I hate it. And I said, well, why did you do that? She said, I'm going to work this month and next month. That's all it is. I know I don't like it, but our church is doing something special. I forget whether it was with sending off a missionary or something. And she said, and I really want to give a whole lot more. I've given all I can on my limited salary. uh, And I took this extra job just solely so that I could be more generous. And, And I said to her, so, so the, the joy of being able to play a part in this way outweighs the distaste of this rather menial job that you've taken on for these next two months. And she said, absolutely. And, and my point here is that, is that there is a spiritual development that can happen in any of us as we learn the joys and, and build our muscles of generosity. Yeah, that is so good. You know, if you if you want to find, uh, at least in the New Testament, if you want to go to a couple of chapters that will really encourage you to take uh, as a pastoral leader, as a ministry leader, sort of take your next steps in leading in this area. Read read Paul in Second Corinthians eight and nine. It's probably it's probably the place in the Bible where he spends the most time unpacking this idea of generosity and stewardship and giving. And what you'll discover there is he's, he is encouraging people to sort of take that step and see it as a, as a spiritual thing and see it as something that makes a difference in the and, life. And not only makes a difference, but brings glory to God. Amen. Underline those verses too, because, hey, you know, what does God really need from us? But if, if these are verses that say, if we do this, it brings him glory. Man, sign me up. Yeah, and the cool thing about this, too, is that this, this idea is, um, if you can share this idea with any Christian at any level of their spiritual development, and they can say yes to this. Not everybody. There's some things as a, as a disciple that I'm, I still need to learn. I need to grow. I'm not, I'm not ready to do yet. But every single one of us can give. 
Every single one of us can take a step of faith and say, you know what, Lord, a part of what you've entrusted to me, I'm going to give back to the kingdom to, to make a difference. I can do that with a modest salary. I can do that with a large salary. I can do a little. I can do a lot. Every single one of us can take that step. And that's the point. We need to be putting a strategy in place that is calling everybody to take that step of discipleship. Chris, just an aside, um, evangelical Christians in particular are probably among the most generous people on earth, statistically speaking. And Americans have been very generous even through the pandemic. The numbers just recently came out uh, for giving overall. And then ECFA in the, each fall does its own uh, state of giving among our uh, members. And that represents like $30 billion in annual income. Um, so quite a slice of the pie of, of uh, overall uh, ministries. And of that, about half, a little more than half is, is uh, cash giving. Uh, but, but all that to say, you know, here we just went through a pandemic and any number of other challenges. And the net result is enough people said, honey, we've been saving that money for a rainy day. You know, <laughs> global pandemic seems like the rainy day. Let's give it. Others who had real uncertainty in their jobs. You know, I don't know, but let's keep putting God first in our finances uh, as long as we can. And lo and behold, the net outcome was that uh, charitable giving uh, for churches and others um, did amazingly well during 2020. And now with uh, half of 2021 gone by has continued. Uh, praise to God. Yeah, that, that really, that is a praise to God. There's sort of a, there's good news. And then there's some, um, there's an aha there, and there's a little bit of an uh-oh there as well, as you know, Warren, right? Because one of the reasons why churches were able to sustain their giving, many churches were able to either sustain their giving, or in some cases, even exceed what they expected, was because our churches tend to be funded by a small number of people. And so that small number of people saying what you just said, hey, I'm going to step up, hey, I'm going to give more, has made the difference. Now imagine a church where we've really done a much better job of inviting not yet givers to become givers and inviting nominal givers to sort of take their next step. That's the opportunity to see exponentially more uh, resources available for ministry. And that's why I think those early findings that we talked about um, when we started are so important. This idea of onboarding not yet givers and helping others kind of take their next step. Yes. If the average tithe in America is 3% uh, among church going Christians, you know, think of the incredible possibilities of what could be done uh, were that number to inch up both by people trusting God with a greater portion of, of the stuff that he's given them, but also new people uh, joining in. You know, it's interesting. I love that you kind of use the air quotes there when you said the tithe of 3%, because of course that's uh, oxymoronic, right? It's 3% is not a tithe and the tithe is 10%, but it really is a, um, it's a good, it's a good illustration of the need for us to be clear about language and about how words matter. And as you put together your strategy and as leader, lead pastor, uh, CEO, executive director, as you're out there engaging people and talking about giving, words matter and how you describe what, what these things 
um, mean matters. If you say tithe, but you just mean gift, if you say um, giving, um, anyway, all that to say the words are important. And sometimes we get in the weeds when we start, uh, we start messing those up. All right, where do we want to go from here, Warren? What's the next big idea that we want to unpack for our, our, our folks here? So we then dug down and said, so do one or more staff members have specific donors, givers, that they are building relationships with? And the answer was yes, uh, by 91% of the people who took the survey. And then we ask another question. So if yes, how many people are they typically focused on? Mm. And the top person, CEO, senior pastor, on average, median, had 30 people. And the person charged with um, development, chief development officer, also known as fundraiser, advancement person, development, lots of titles, uh, had a responsibility of a median of 75 people. So, Chris, I'd love to talk about what that looks like. You know, I'll just throw out one example of, of, of churches where I'm going to call it a legacy group, where uh, some of the most uh, generous uh, givers, uh, you don't know that it's generous givers. Some of the largest givers um, are identified and invited to invite their friends for kind of a dream session with the senior pastor where the pastor talks specifically, gives a word of discipleship uh, about their financial giving and invites them into the what's next dream. Because remember, money follows vision much more than vice versa. Um, so one way to, to develop, uh, at least as a group, uh, is to have kind of a, a legacy group or any other name you want to call it. Chris, would you comment on what you've seen there and also on the one-on-one? -on -one? How do I, um, what do I do if I'm the leader and I want to develop one-on-one -on -one Am I talking with them necessarily about money or, or am, I, am I just helping them apply Jesus to their world? Okay, so great, great question. And I think the, your research is so helpful to sort of tee up this important conversation. A couple of things sort of in, in, in preface, though. Um, I, think, I think some of the reason why some of us who are in ministry leadership, in church leadership in particular, we get a little bit shy about uh, some sort of in, uh, intentional strategy to engage the people in our congregation who have capacity to give at the highest level. We're in, the, in our mind, we're hearing James chapter two, and we're fearing this warning that James gives, gives us about showing favoritism to people based on wealth, right? You'll remember the James passage describes this very absurd scene where some poor person is asked to give up their seat so that a wealthy person could take it. That's clearly favoritism. So we have this sense that, hey, I don't want to single out just the people in my church that have wealth, because that's, that's favoritism, and James says not to do that. But of course, Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, Timothy, as you lead your church there in Ephesus, uh, warn those who are rich, Timothy, have a unique conversation with the people in your church who God has blessed with wealth, invite them to live a generous life, Timothy, so that, and I love this passage, so that they will experience the life that is truly life. So there's this cool kind of 
a thing happening. On the one hand, yes, we cannot show favoritism to people based on wealth, but we must uniquely disciple and engage and call up the people in our congregation that God is blessed with wealth. So how do we do that? Well, I think one of the things that you just described is really helpful, and that is convening some of those folks in a group context, allowing them to cultivate relationships with one another, and simply saying, listen, by the grace of God, you all are among the, the most generous givers here in our congregation, and we're so grateful for that. We appreciate the fact that you prioritize giving to our church. And let's give you some insight into what the Lord's doing here, what's happening, uh, and, and creating that community of people who know that they are blessed by God to be able to give at that, um, at that higher level. That's not showing favoritism, because of course, we also have ministry for people in our church that have financial problems, right? We have benevolence, we have Financial Peace University for people that are struggling with their budget. So we do this already. We just have no ministry to those folks. So I think that is a smart idea, Warren, convening them in groups and casting vision and helping them to create relationship because they can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. But in the one-on-one -on -one settings that a pastor or a discipler might have with a high capacity or a leading giver, what, you, what they don't need from you is advice on how to make more money. They, they know how to do that. They don't need advice on how to run their business. They need pastoring like everybody else. They need you to be engaged in their life and to be asking the questions that will help you sort of help them take their next steps uh, spiritually. I will suggest one really great question that a pastor or a ministry leader can use with someone who perhaps has capacity to give at a high level is this. What is it that you like best about what God's doing at our church? Warren, what is it that you like best about what God's doing here at First Church? And whatever that person says to you is going to reveal the part of the ministry that they have the most connection to, the thing that they're most excited about. So, Warren, you might say something like, well, listen, I've been in church my whole life. I don't think I've ever seen a student ministry that is better than the one that we have here at our church. I love the way you all engage students. At which point a pastor might at some future time be able to say, you know, I remembered that you really believe in and you're excited about what the Lord's doing through our student ministry here. I wonder, could I show you a plan that we have for taking that student ministry to a whole new level of effectiveness? Could I show you that? I'd love to get your feedback on it and maybe ask you to help us make that dream come true. And now what you've done is you've, you've actually engaged them to consider giving to a thing they already told you they care about. So that's, that's, a, that's just kind of the ministry of asking done in the context of these kind of one-on-one -on -one discipling kinds of conversations. Mm. Really helpful. Uh, Chris, let me throw in a couple of the questions that have uh, come from uh, people watching and uh, let's, let's talk briefly about those. Does your research look into what types of donors these ministries are trying to acquire or move up the pyramid? For example, are churches focused on reaching younger people or are they more focused on re-engaging older generations? Short answer, the research didn't ask that. Longer answer, Chris, is that a good idea to speak? I mean, 
when I went to get a car with my son, they talked to me left and right about all the safety features. And then when they realized that it was going to be the son's car, they immediately said, let's talk about subwoofers. So do we need to talk to different people in different ways? And should we focus on anyone in particular? Yeah, I, I think that's really a great question. And it goes to that principle that we talked about earlier, right? Which is we speak to different kinds of givers differently. So we need to have a strategy to engage the non-giver, a strategy to engage the, the high capacity giver. We need a strategy to help that person sort of in the middle, perhaps take their next step toward becoming an even more generous giver. And by all means, we need to speak to the different age and stage uh, groups that we have in our church as well. One of the things to be aware of, though, is be careful not to think of, quote, millennials as if they're all the same. My, our friend, our mutual friend, Warren, Julie Bullock, has done some great thinking about this. And I remember a conversation that she and I had about it where um, she just was sort of uh, incredulous about the idea that you could speak to all millennials the same way. Uh, Grant Skeldon has done some great research on this as well, that, that yes, there are some commonalities there, but boy, you could have a millennial who is sleeping on their mom's sofa, and you also could have one who has a professional job and is engaged as an entrepreneur and has resources. And so it's got to be real careful that you don't sort of stereotype them as being all the same. But it is important if you're going to gather some of the key movers and shakers and influencers in your church Maybe look at the list and ask, is there anybody here that represents sort of that next generation? And if not, why not? And who could we engage and bring into that conversation? Because I think it does make a difference. Excellent. One more question. This one from our more recent discussion. To develop staff donor relationships, would you recommend all or most church staff be involved in developing relationships with top givers or just a specific team for that? Yeah, I have no idea. Chris, what do you think? I think it's likely it's it's not a good idea to sort of assign this kind of uh, democratically. Every staff member gets five names. Right. It's it's much more about who is in a position to actually engage someone from a pastoral point of view. So it, to me, it would be the pastoral leaders or the ministry leaders in your church that what I would want doing this. And then I also would I would try to I would try to assign these relationships based on sort of common natural pathways, right? So these people, this person is in, is in my ministry area. So maybe I'm the right person to engage them. But I'm, I'm, I'm working with a church right now, a great church in St. Louis. And what they've done is they've taken some of their key givers, some of their key influencers and the people they want to encourage. They've taken all of their pastoral leaders and their senior level, and they've given them all, and the word my, my friend there is using, I've given them all a portfolio they all have a list of names and they're all encouraged over the course of this year to meet with those people, have a cup of coffee, ask a few key questions, do some discipling. And so I think it makes the most sense to assign a smaller number of people to, to follow through on these conversations based on relationship. Great. All right. The clock is ticking. So we should probably get to our, uh, actually, that was the final thing. Let me just show you a couple of fun things from the, yeah, go for from it. the survey. So people said, you know, well, what about uh, digital currencies, uh, cyber currency? Bitcoin is probably best known. Uh, so how many are set up to receive donations? 5%. How many have actually received a, a donation from Bitcoin last year? 2%. But 
Of those set up to receive, 74%. So here's what I think happened. Somebody said, my grandma made it big on Bitcoin and wants to give a generous gift to the church. Are you set up for that? Uh, no, but I'll be right back. Uh, yes, now we are set up. Uh, we'd be glad to receive your grandma's gift. Or whatever. That is a way, way cooler grandma than I have. <laughs> well, actually, if you want to know about how to set it up, go to ecfa.org and type the word granny in the search bar and you will uh, find an article called My Granny Invested in Bitcoin and Now Wants to Give It to Charity. Brilliant. Uh, so uh, that's fun. Uh, we did ask, uh, where did you receive the most growth, uh, most giving last year during the pandemic, uh, major donors? Where did the most growth come from, from email? Uh, and where do you anticipate the most growth for 2021 was, uh, was major donors? One more. Uh, where is your, Where are your 2021 social media priorities for fundraising. The highest amount went to Facebook, This a distant second highest to Instagram. But actually, do you know what the, the gap in between the Facebook and Instagram were? Chris, it's two social medias you might not be using. One is called don't know, and the other one is haven't decided. <laughs> um, so um, for those who haven't been strategic about our presence on different social media, maybe it's time to be so. Outstanding. All right, Warren, this is a good time to let people know where they can go if they want to get any more information about your, the survey that you've done, if they want to go to the, uh, a website or maybe send you an email, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Um, to get it, download a copy of the survey free, go to ecfa.org slash surveys, plural. If you happen to be interested in us surveying your givers and we need uh, giving units, you need to have at least 300 or more uh, givers, giving units, go to ecfa.org slash Y-Give, W-H-Y-G-I-V-E, and that'll tell you all about it. Good. And then Warren, if you have that slide for that, uh, that download that we're offering at Elevate Group, I just uh, want to encourage... Yep. Folks, if you would like to download this free resource that we put together at Elevate Group, it could be a good next step for, your, for you and your team in kind of putting together a conversation. So, okay, so we know we want to do a better job in elevating generosity and stewardship and giving in our church. What do we do next? Like, what do we do first? This, um, this guide to, to radical generosity in your church could be a really helpful conversation starter and something to get going. And you can, you can download that uh, at elevategroup.us slash resources. And you'll find a whole number, a whole bunch of other things in our resources section there, blogs and other articles to read and things that might be useful to you. Um, Warren Bird, once again, uh, delivering the goods uh, I love the way you take the kind of questions that either we're all asking or frankly, we should be asking, but we're not and do the research, get the data and then deliver it, Warren, in a way that is super helpful to those of us who are leading at the local level in churches. So on behalf of all of my pastor and ministry leader friends, I just want to say thank you to you and to ECFA for all your hard work and the great results that you get. And thanks to Exponential for hosting and for the huge library of uh, webinars that they have free. 
that you can watch on replay there. And I have watched and learned from so many of them. Yeah, excellent. Okay, well, thanks again, everybody, for joining us. And uh, we'll see you next time. Take care. Okay, bye, Chris. This was a joy working together. Thanks, Warren. Take it easy.